The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, hey, let's, uh, let's be honest here. We live in a culture that loves to compare. It seems that there is a top 10 list for virtually everything out there, right? We feel we have to be able to, to rate or categorize. It, it pretty much seems like everything in our life. I know Sports Center top 10 is one of my favorite uh, of, the, of the top 10s that I engage. And then, of course, you have, you have top 10 lists of things that you just go, how in the world can you even get that down to a top 10? Uh, some of you are familiar with uh, the, uh, the IMDb website, and they have a top 10 movies of all time based on what their users say. Anybody know what it is? Okay, the Shawshank Redemption okay, is, is, uh, is number one. It's actually in a tie with the first Godfather. But, I, but you know, it, you, you have to have a sample space to get that. But we're always trying to figure out what's the best movie of, of all time. We, we love to know where the things that we are excited about uh, kind of measure up with other things. I was thrilled to come across a website that ranked the loudest uh, college football stadiums in the country because the number one was Husky Stadium here in Seattle. It wasn't anything based on anecdote. Ooh, our stadium's the loudest. This was actually based on science, 133.6 decibels. And as somebody who is there every Saturday that we play a home game and usually has a sore throat on Sunday, that was gratifying uh, to see that, hey, my work is worth something there on, on, uh, on Saturdays. And then you get into websites that are a little bit more obscure. Okay, I'm not making this up. There was a website that, that, that had top 10 images of cats driving cars, okay? Because we have to be able to categorize, you know, is my feline behind the wheel better than your feline behind the wheel? Now, I'm not a cat person. So very quickly, all these images of cats behind the wheel look really similar to me. But again, do we really need to categorize our pictures of cats driving cars? Uh, one, another one that I came across that, that I found rather interesting was top 10 sleep disorders. Okay, because we have to have a list for where things like somnambulism, which is just a scientific name for sleepwalking, or where sleep bruxism, which is just a fancy name for grinding teeth, uh, fit in in the spectrum of, of sleep disorders. Now, I was surprised to see that one of the sleep uh, disorders wasn't named like infant somnia because that's been one that I've been suffering from a little bit lately. <laughs> Last uh, week after our prayer night, per a bit of a tradition I have, I went home, I had a, had a snack and watched a little TV. I always watch a, a, a 30 for 30 on Tuesday nights when I get home to kind of settle down after the end. It's good stuff. And as I finished up around 1230, I go upstairs, my three-year-old wakes up. Now, this has been a problem, and it's a big problem, okay? I love my three-year-old. It's a good thing he's cute because I have really bad thoughts when I have to try and get him back to sleep. So we go through the whole routine, you know, we're holding Colin, I'm reading him books, I get him back into sleep. I finally get upstairs around uh, 120 uh, and, and fall asleep probably around 130. And then at 215, I get a nudge from my wife who was over nine months pregnant. And she says, yeah, I think that there might be something legit. 
legit happening to me right now. So, you know, we're kind of, okay, you know, so breathe, breathe. <laughs> okay. And, and by 3.30, we were in the car uh, headed to uh, the delivery room. And by 9.06, we had the opportunity to meet Wallace Winston Church last Wednesday. And uh, he, is, he is just uh, a joy. And no doubt uh, Wally, as his friends call him. Um, <laughs> yes, my, my house is a bit of Wally world right now, as it, as it should be. And he would be near the top 10 of any cutest little babies in the world list, I'm, I'm sure. He would certainly be in the top 10 handsome little boys ever and would just flat out run away in the top 10 dark-haired thirdborns with two other bro- brothers that have red hair category. He would definitely dominate that list. But as you know, all parents believe their kids are the cutest. And as you just saw, I just put my, my son on three different uh, top 10 lists. Well, I, I bring this up, um, and you can take down that picture of Wally, because I'll just want to sit here and look at it uh, all evening, because he's just, he's so cute. We live in a culture that, that has this need to figure out where do the things that we love stand? We have a need to figure out where we ourselves stand amidst our peers and amidst our culture that seems to rank everything. Like all these top 10 lists represent, we might be playing different games, but it seems that there is a ranking for whatever game we're, we're playing. And so we look to lists like this, and we, and maybe even lists that we're not going to find on the internet, but the list that we make in our head to determine a lot of things. Most notably, how we see ourselves. We create these lists, lists to somehow influence how we see ourselves. And of course, we make these lists based on how we think others might see us. Well, as we continue a series that we've been looking at in 2 Corinthians tonight, I believe that the Apostle Paul gives us an invitation to play a different game than the culture invites us to play in terms of trying to get on these lists. Now, last week, we took some time to pray uh, through some of the things and some of the themes that we've been covering throughout this quarter. And now we only have two more looks at 2 Corinthians tonight. And then next week, I want to I give you a special invitation to come back as you'll get to hear from uh, the first of our interns uh, this year. Taylor Dunlap is going to be sharing. And, and you're not going to want to miss this. I know it's Thanksgiving week, but before you head out of town, make sure you come to the inn so we can have a time of Thanksgiving as a community and you can hear some of the thoughts that TD has on, uh, on 2 Corinthians. I know it's going to be a great night and you're not going to want to miss it. But before I read our text tonight, I want to give you two critical reminders, okay? Two critical reminders about the guy writing this letter, 2 Corinthians, and about Corinthian culture, Okay, first, Paul, the guy who wrote these letters, was smart, but comparatively speaking, he wasn't the best of verbal communicators. As the text will alert us to, it wasn't that he wasn't a decent communicator in general, it's just that he wasn't the most spectacular of orators. Now, that's significant because Corinth was a highly competitive environment. 
where people would draw attention to themselves by giving these big speeches in town squares. And it was people that are vying um, in business and politics and, and claims to status. And it was interesting that scholars have noted that most of the buildings that were erected in Corinth uh, in the first century were done out of self-promotion, out of this self-promotion that dominated in that city in the first century. Essentially, that if you wanted to get yourself on a type of top 10 list in the city of Corinth, the quickest way to do it was to build a sweet building near the town square, and then name it after yourself. So it was a a culture of self-promotion. And that was very prevalent. With that in mind, let's jump into our text tonight. This is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll start at the first verse. It says this, By humility and gentleness of Christ, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, some of your translations may say meekness there, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold uh, toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that I live by the standards of this world. Okay, if you didn't catch that, right there, Paul is, is essentially saying, hey, don't make me open up a can when I get there, okay? For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Okay, now in that last section, there's a lot that, we, that could be said right here. But what I want you to catch is that Paul is passionate to say, let's be different. Let's be different. Let's do something different than what we've been doing. It continues in verse 7. And he gets a little more specific. It says, you are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat about, somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that we are in our letters when we are absent. What we are when we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. All right, in Paul's written elegance, if I were to try and summarize what he would say, I would say this. Paul is essentially saying, don't hate the player, hate the game. Now, something that has come up three different times this quarter has been the dichotomy between worldly standards and godly or divine standards. And again, this is something that that we could probably do a series just unpacking what those terms uh, mean. But what I want to emphasize from this passage is this, that Paul understands that in part what the gospel does, what the gospel invites us to, what Jesus invites him to and what Jesus invites the Corinthians to is to play 
a different game than the culture was playing when it came to establishing an identity and establishing worth. Instead of playing a game to land yourself on a top 10 list or as many top 10 lists as possible, Paul instead speaks of boasting in Christ. In essence, what he, would, what he was doing here would be almost like somebody, think of, of a political advertisement where the person comes on TV and essentially starts talking good about the other candidate. In first century Corinth, that would be unheard of. And in a lot of ways, when Paul talks about building other people up, he's saying, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna talk good about other people and I'm not going to apologize for it. It is an intense culture of self-promotion and comparison. And Paul invites us to play a different game. I know this quarter I've already told you about uh, a little gathering that I did with a group of juniors last year. They're seniors this year uh, on our student leadership team. And as we talked and we fellowshiped and we read scripture together, it was clear that these, this group of students wanted to play a different game that we had been playing. That they identified that instead of a culture of competition, we wanted here at the at University Ministries to be a culture of encouragement. Instead of being served and expecting to be served, they said, we want to build each other up. And instead of bailing when things get hard, we have a vision to stay committed. It seems to me that the apostle, had the Apostle Paul been at that meeting last spring, he would have made some of the same statements he would have made in this chapter. And especially if you are new to this community, I hope that you're experiencing some of those things. I hope that you're experiencing a sense of encouragement. I hope that you are experiencing that this is a place where, where you can be served and where you get opportunities to serve. And I hope that we can stay committed to that together. In short, they had a vision of experiencing something different when we gather together on Tuesday nights to play a game that was a little bit different. You see, we believe that the gospel has made our standing clear. We don't need a list to determine it. It's not about earning your way onto one of those lists or being a great speaker or even a great Christian. Paul invites us to play a different game. Even when our culture insists on comparison and competition. Friends, the gospel is a game changer. It's a game changer. As Paul shares this word with the people of Corinth, he's sharing it with the expectation that it changes our lives because it changed his. And I know that if we're sitting here tonight, we want that. We somehow want the gospel to matter. We want our lives to be different. And I believe that this is a key way that this happens. I want to spend uh, the rest of our time reflecting on, on uh, how this might happen. What are we really invited to in playing a different game? Three things. First, you are invited to authenticity. 
Verses 10 and 11 suggest that when Paul says, what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. He's saying we're just the same when we're gone as we are when we're there. Our authentic selves are present in our letters and our authentic selves will be present when we are with you. When one knows and is confident of their standing in Jesus, as Paul has become, it simply allows them to be the same all the time. It frees us from the anxiety of having to always be spectacular or make the big splash and then sustain the big splash. Okay, I'm gonna, this might make me sound a little bit old and curmudgeon. And, you know, honestly, the, the, there might be some things in the balance of this talk that make me sound that way, but I'm too tired to try and battle it, so I'm just going to say these things. Okay, but it seems some of the stories that I hear, and maybe some of you are in this category, about, the, about how people will ask other people to, like, their senior proms are unbelievable stories about, oh yeah, you know, I skydived into the soccer game with a big sign that said prom, question mark. You know, or they, they get some, you know, stretched limo and flowers, whatever. They show up in a big surprising way. And I'm, I'm listening to these stories about how people ask somebody to prom. And I'm going, I didn't put that much energy into, uh, into the event when I was asking somebody to marry me, much less go to prom. Okay, now, obviously, there's something that is to be admired in that creativity, but here's my concern, is that nothing can live up to the big splash that you just made. It's totally unsustainable, one, and two, it's often not the real person that's giving the invitation. At best, it is merely an exaggerated version of that. Okay, let me give you all a little bit of dating advice here, okay? It, it's called under-promise, over-deliver, all right? Make the, make the invitation, guys, a little bit more subtle, and then, you know, you got the expectations low, and then, boom, over-deliver. That's what I'm talking about. That's how you do it. Often, when we have the opportunity to hire people in university ministries, as they sit down for their interviews, often one of the things that we will pray for them, uh, for the staff that's present, is that we will, we will pray, God, help us to see this person for exactly who they are, no more, no less. The invitation of this passage in Paul's boasting is an invitation to just be yourself, to be that way all the time, to be freed from having to make the big splash. Second, you are invited away from building yourself up to building others up. Verse eight says this, so even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. You see, in the self-promoting culture of the time, everything was about me, 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 me. I'm gonna build myself up and I'm not gonna give anybody any sort of advantage in, in uh, this, this war of words, if you will. Let me tell you a quick story. 
uh, over the past year, I've had the, the opportunity, the privilege, privilege really, of serving on the board of trustees for Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, uh, UGM for short. And there are so many inspiring and touching uh, stories that, that I get to hear out of the, the ministry of, of UGM. Uh, most of those stories have to do with, with people who are at their wit's end. Um, who have kind of hit rock bottom and have a redemption story, a transformation story. But last month I heard a story that was very surprising in that the person sharing it was a guy that, uh, has anybody seen the TV show Shark Tank? Okay, yeah, okay, there's some people in here. And a guy named Robert Hersevik. Okay, Robert is, is um, he would show up on a lot of top 10 lists that a lot of people in this room would be envious to be on. In fact, he's a, he's a Canadian businessman that actually has, he is the owner of the most expensive house ever sold in the country of Canada. Well, long story short, um, at, a, at an event last month, uh, Robert with UGM here in Seattle, Robert gets on stage and tells a story about being at his wit's end. And even this guy who would be on all those top 10 lists is sharing about how he was having thoughts of ending it all. Well, luckily he reached out to a friend and this friend said, you know what? You need to go out and spend some time with a friend of mine who runs a a homeless shelter out in Seattle. And somewhat in my opinion, amazingly, Robert gets on his private jet and flies to Seattle the next day. And over the course of the next two weeks, in relative anonymity, he serves downtown in a shelter that many of you have walked past, doing intake and meeting people. Uh, He he spent time serving uh, people who had nothing, even as a guy who seems to have everything. He spent time praying uh, in in churchyards uh, with people. And as he did, he's seeing people that were a lot more like him than he ever realized. And in the process, he develops these relationships where homeless guys are mentoring him. Here's a guy who has spent his entire life building up his fortune, his career, his brand. And he gets to his own wit's end and it is in giving his life away that it all becomes clear for him. One of the things I love about his story is that there was not this dialogue of, oh, before I go and serve in a homeless shelter, I need to get myself right. Actually, it was the other way around. It was by going and doing some things for other people that the transformation began to happen he began to have compassion for these people. And in so doing, he began to have compassion for himself. The invitation that Paul gives us here is to cease all of the effort in building ourselves up for the purposes of building others up and by some mystery, the person that's most transformed when we do that is not the person we're serving. It's us. That's the invitation of the gospel. 
Finally, you are invited to experience divine power. The implication is that this is far better than any top 10 list that you might desperately want to be on. The passage that we read says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Don't you want that? I know I want that. It sounds great. I want to experience the power that can release us from strongholds. I want to experience the divine power that can release us from the need to compare. Honestly, I think this is the great desire I have for us tonight. I see and I hear stories of a group of people that spend a lot of time kind of maintaining their image, maintaining their brand. Okay, we see this all around us, right? I mean, uh, let's, let's give you a couple of examples here. Kim Kardashian and LeBron James. Last week, Kim Kardashian po- posted some pictures that pretty much broke the internet, right? It's an effort to, again, refresh that image. And then, of course, LeBron left for South Beach. He took his talents to South Beach, and now he comes back as the great hope of Ohio sports. And, you know, and then they brand themselves here as musicians. Maybe we'll have them come and lead worship at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, Kim Kardashian on the mini guitar and LeBron James on the violin. Come and join us for worship. I don't think that's part of their brand. Otherwise, maybe they'd do it. No, no, they wouldn't. We spend a lot of time, even us, okay, maybe you've never thought about it like this before, but we spend a lot of time maintaining our, our brand, don't we? Even in a Christian culture, last year I had a conversation with a girl who was a senior who's now graduated and, and has gone on to do some pretty cool stuff, but she confessed even then, last year, in, in participating in groups of Christians that she felt the compulsion to look really busy, to be doing really meaningful, really cool activities and all the while making it look easy. Now, remember, she's commenting on Christian culture to be doing really cool, really meaningful things and making it look easy and being recognized for it. That recognition part was important. And it got me thinking about this question. What if, what if I, I said, hey, go and do the coolest thing that you could think of, the thing that you really want to do, the thing that might land you on that list that you so desperately want to be on, okay? And you probably, hopefully you're going, oh, yes, that'd be great. Well, now what if I told you you can't take a picture of it? You can't post it. Is it as cool? Is it the same activity? What if you can't make it part of your brand? Friends, here's my concern. That this comparison game that we play ourselves often leaves us in one of two spots. Not always, but most often, it leaves us in one of two spots. It leaves us in a place of going, golly, 
in this comparison game, I suck. I, don't, I wouldn't make a top 10 list. In fact, I wouldn't make a top 25 list. I might not make a, a, a top 100 list. And then on the other side, there's this possibility that in the comparison game, we're looking around going, wow, thank God I'm not like that. What if we stopped comparing? It did something else. Jesus says this in Luke 18. He tells this parable. Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exhausted. Exhausted. (laughs) That was a Freudian slip right there. Exalted. Friends, I've been trying to find a better way to say this, but I don't have it once again. So again, I'll just say it like this. That when I come back from the Dominican Republic, in the past when I've participated on the Seattle mission, and even sometimes when I I hear about stories from deputation, one of the most common things I hear is this sense of, wow, this really made me appreciate everything that I have. It really helped me see the situation that I'm in. Now, gratitude is great, but one of the things that always disturbs me about this is that in some ways, what we're saying when we say that is, thank God I'm not like them. Now, as one who plans these trips that we do to the Dominican and even right here in Seattle and who makes a big push on deputation, I'm not interested in doing any more mission trips where we go so that we can compare ourselves to really make us feel better about ourselves. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he went home justified. The opportunity that we have in these trips and with each other is to demonstrate compassion, not comparison, compassion. And so go on that Seattle mission trip so that you might practice and learn compassion, that we might subordinate the comparison. Practice and learn compassion. You don't have to get yourself right before you go. Part of how we learn this is to just go and do it. Friends, my desire for you, honestly, is to just be free of this stronghold of comparison. Now, I know that this plays out in your hearts and minds in so many different ways. And what Paul wants you to know is that there is this divine power 
that invites you to play a different game. And when we look at the cross, what it reminds us of is that you haven't been compared. God did not say only the top 10 get in. No, rather it was for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What the cross means is that that promise is true for you. It doesn't mean that you've been compared. It means that the Lord has had compassion on you. The game is different, friends. Instead of comparison, let us be compassionate. God in Jesus Christ has extended his compassion on you, for you. God is for you. And as a result, we get to go and be living and breathing reminders, extension of that compassion for a world that desperately needs it. And that's when life gets exciting, when we get to be those agents of compassion. That's when it gets meaningful. That's when it gets dynamic. Let's get on that journey together. Let's pray. God, thank you that you invite us to play a different game. Help us by that divine power that we may be free of whatever stronghold it is uh, that keeps us believing something less than the entirety of your love and grace for us. Uh, Lord, be real to us as we go into the things that you've called us to, to being students, to, being, um, to, the, to the jobs that we have, to the places that we live. Uh, Lord, we want to know you, so help us out as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.